Lord, we pray for your blessing today. Would you uh, open up this passage and help us to see how it might apply to every one of us? Lord, although we are not physical lepers, we're born spiritual lepers, and we need a cleansing, and we need your touch, Lord. And so, Lord, open it up. Apply it by your spirit and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The most dreaded disease in the ancient world was leprosy. In fact, leprosy was sort of the first century version of AIDS that we have today. It was incurable and it was horrific. And during our time today, I want to describe a little bit about what leprosy was like so you can paint in your picture what was actually taking place. Up until this point in Luke's Gospel, Luke has been showing us that Jesus is the supreme Lord over everything. We've seen that Jesus has power over demons. He's got power over disease. And last Sunday, we saw that he even has power over the animal creation. He has power over the fish. He can make fish get into a net when he wants to. He's Lord over everything. Well, today we're going to see that he's even Lord over the most dreaded disease in the ancient world, leprosy. Now, what I find really interesting about leprosy is that whenever you read about it, you don't read about someone being healed of it. You read about someone being cleansed of it. Now, you read about paralytics being healed and people with fevers getting healed, but leprosy seems to be in a different class. It's, it's different. You have to be cleansed of this. Let me show you some scripture that might help with that. Um, right in our passage, in Luke chapter 5, look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Three times we have the word clean or cleanse or cleansing. And that's not all. In Luke 4.27, it says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Or Luke 7, verse 22, And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. Or, Jesus commands his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. So over and over and over, when we read about leprosy, it's not getting healed, it's getting cleansed of leprosy. Now there's got to be a reason for that, right? If we approach the Bible with curious minds, we want to know the answer to that. Why would God say that lepers are cleansed rather than healed. Can you think of anything else in the Bible that needs to be cleansed? Sin. Our sin. sin. Our sin needs to be cleansed. Leviticus 16.30, on the Day of Atonement within Israel, this is what it says. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sin before the Lord. Or Psalm 51.2, David says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Or 1 John 1.7, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. 
So folks, I believe the reason why leprosy was cleansed is because God intended it from the very beginning to be a picture of something else. It's a picture of sin. And sin's devastating effects in a person's life. Now this morning, we're going to look at three aspects of this leper. First of all, the plight of the leper, and then the actions of the leper, and then the cleansing of the leper. And try to see yourself in this man who came to Jesus that day. First of all, the plight of the leper. This leper was considered to be unclean. In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 3, when a man found this skin disease and he suspected it might be leprosy, he had to go to the priest and the priest would check him out. And if he determined, yes, you do have leprosy, he would pronounce him unclean. He was religiously defiled. He was ceremonially defiled. He was unclean in the sight of man and God. He had to be separated away from the rest of all the people. And you know, sin is like that. Sin makes us unclean, doesn't it? Sin defiles us. Sin makes us actually filthy in the sight of God. That's why it needs to be cleansed. You only clean things that are dirty, right? When I get home at the end of the day, if I've been cleaning gutters, I am dirty from head to toe. And I need to take a shower and get all that filth off of me. That's what we're like. We're born into this world sinners. And we just contaminate ourselves further and further every day by choosing of ourselves to commit more and more sin. And so we are unclean in the sight of God. Listen to Job 15, 15. Behold, he, that is God, puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is detestable and corrupt, man who drinks iniquity like water. Now we tend to just kind of ignore verses like that, and we think they don't apply to us. This is talking about who? Man, or mankind. Are you part of mankind? Folks, this applies to you and me. <laughs> he says the, the condition of mankind is he's detestable, that means he's hateful, and he's corrupt. And furthermore, he drinks iniquity like water. Now, how do you drink water? How often? Every day. Just once? All day long. Folks, that's God. He looks down upon the sons of men and he says, well, you guys are detestable, you're corrupt, and you drink iniquity all day long every day. Just like water. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. So when we commit idolatry, that means loving something more than God, that's filthy in the sight of God. He, he sees us to be filthy. We need to be cleansed of that filthiness. So this leper was unclean. And we, until we receive cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are the same way. We're unclean in the sight of God. Secondly, he was repulsive. Our text says he was covered with leprosy. Covered with it. Now this is Dr. Luke talking. He's the only one that tells us this was in such an advanced stage of leprosy. But because he's a doctor, he would note little things like that. So if he's covered with leprosy, this isn't leprosy in its beginning stages. This is in its advanced stages. In fact, this man may have been close to death. He's covered with it from head to foot. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 12, there is a, a statement here about Miriam when God judged her and gave her leprosy. 
And this is what Aaron prays. Oh, don't let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. So when Aaron described what leprosy was like, he said it's like someone whose flesh is half eaten away. It was a grotesque thing. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, Isaiah is describing the sin of Israel. And notice how he describes it. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged or softened with oil. So he, when God looks at a person who's in sin, he sees someone who's... He has welts and he has sores and bruises from head to toe. He's just filled with the sin of leprosy. William Barclay, a New Testament commentator, puts it like this. The whole appearance of the face is changed till the man loses his human appearance and looks, as the ancients said, like a lion. The nodules grow larger and larger. They ulcerate. From them there comes a foul discharge. So he not only looked repulsive, he smelled repulsive. The eyebrows, eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The voice becomes hoarse. And the breath wheezes because of the ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and the feet always ulcerate. Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of the disease is nine years. And it ends in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. The sufferer becomes utterly repulsive, both to himself and to others. William Thompson, who wrote in the 1800s, wrote a book called The Land and the Book. And in that book, he writes this little story. He says, As I was approaching Jerusalem, I was startled by the sudden apparition of a crowd of beggars, without eyes, without nose, without hair, without everything. They held up their handless arms. Unearthly sounds gurgled through throats without pallets. In a word, I was horrified. So you get a picture of what leprosy was like in the first century. It was, they called it the living death. If you had leprosy, you were one of the living dead. Your body was slowly being eaten away. Hands, fingers would disappear, then hands would disappear. Toes, the extremities of the body would be eaten away. And I believe that God is trying to get a point across to us. Sin makes us repulsive to God. How could it be any other way for an all-holy God to look down on this massive sin and not be repulsed by it? Now, of course, God loves a sinful world, but he also hates sin, and he's repulsed by sin. It's ugly, it's grotesque, it's horrific in the sight of God. And it's not, it's not that way to us, is it? Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks deeper than that. He looks on the heart. Now, we just look on the outward appearance. That's why there's so many beauty salons everywhere. That's why there's health clubs everywhere you, you look, you know. That's why people are always jogging and trying to keep physically fit and putting makeup on and combing their hair and trying to look attractive. We care about the outward appearance, but God's x-raying us. <laughs> He's going deep. He's looking at what's in our heart. And it's leprosy that's in the heart. Well, stay with me. It even gets a little worse here. <laughs> Not only this, this man is unfeeling. He's unclean. He's repulsive, and he's unfeeling. 
See, it used to be thought that leprosy was just a disease in which the, 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 the flesh would sort of be eaten away. But they found in uh, the, the mid-20th century, maybe 50, 60 years, a guy by the name of Paul Brown, he discovered that leprosy was really a disease in which all pain leaves the body. And because there's no pain in your body, you always get injured and you never feel it. And so... Well, let's say you're, you're sleeping someplace and your toes are exposed and a rat comes off and eats your toe off. You don't even feel it. You wake up the next morning, your toe's gone. You don't even know it's happened because there's no painful sensations in the body. So injuries are constantly happening and because there's no pain, you're not protecting yourself from it and your body slowly is being eaten away like that. Listen to what Paul Brand says in his book. He says, and, and leprosy today is called Hansen's disease. He says, Hansen's disease is cruel, but not at all the way other diseases are. It primarily acts as an anesthetic, numbing the pain cells of hands, feet, nose, ears, and eyes. Not so bad, really, one might think. Most diseases are feared because of their pain. What makes a painless disease so horrible, then? Hansen's disease numbs its, its numbing quality is precisely the reason such fabled destruction and decay of tissue occurs. For thousands of years, people thought Hansen's disease caused the ulcers on hands and feet and face, which eventually led to rotting flesh and loss of limbs. Mainly through Dr. Brand's research, it has been established that in 99% of the cases, Hansen's disease only numbs the extremities. The destruction follows solely because the warning system of pain is gone. How does the decay happen? In villages of Africa and Asia, a person with Hansen's disease has been known to reach directly into a charcoal fire to retrieve a dropped potato. Nothing in his body told him not to. Patients at Brand's Hospital in India would work all day gripping a shovel with a protruding nail or extinguish a burning wick with their bare hands or walk on splintered glass. Watching them, Brand began formulating his radical theory that Hansen's disease was chiefly anesthetic and only indirectly a destroyer. On one occasion, he tried to open the door of a little storeroom, but a rusty padlock would not yield. A patient, an undersized, malnourished 10-year-old, approached him smiling, let me try, doctor. He offered and reached for the key. With a quick jerk of his hand, he turned the key in the lock. Brand was dumbfounded. How could this weak youngster outexert him? His eyes caught a telltale clue. Was that a drop of blood on the floor? Upon examining the boy's finger, Brand discovered the act of turning the key had gnashed a finger to the bone. Skin, fat, and joint were all exposed. Yet the boy was completely unaware of it. To him, the sensation of cutting his finger to the bone was no different from picking up a stone or turning a coin in his pocket. So that's how Hansen's disease, or leprosy, works. It makes a person totally numb, unfeeling to pain. You know, pain is actually a good thing because it's our warning system that something's wrong. And in our lives, sin does the same thing, doesn't it? It numbs a person. It makes us unfeeling. In fact, Ezekiel 36 says that when God saves someone, he has to take out a heart of what? Stone. And he replaces it with a heart of flesh. Flesh can feel, stones can't. So 
That's why over in 1 Timothy 4, it talks about someone who has a conscience that is seared. If someone's conscience is seared, it can't feel anymore. It doesn't feel guilt any longer. In Ephesians 4, it talks about people who, whose hearts are hardened and they become calloused. Now, because I'm a musician, a banjo player, I know what calluses are. They're these things on the end of your fingers that grow real tough so that you don't feel pain when you push the, the strings down. Scott could tell you that, I'm sure. He's probably got good calluses on his finger. <laughs> so, our hearts, the Bible says, become calloused, unfeeling, seared, hard. And when God saves us, He's got to change that heart. Now, we can't change it. We can't change our own heart. We can't change anybody else's heart. But God has the power to change any heart. And thankfully, He's changed some of ours, hasn't He? Isn't that a good thing? So it makes us unfeeling. Can you remember a time when doing a particular act of sin almost frightened you? You, you dared not commit that particular thing? And then the more you did it, the less fearful you got and the less guilty you felt? I remember as a boy having a paper route. And on our paper route, every day we'd go past this pomegranate tree. Maybe Paul might remember this too. I don't know. But I saw it. It was on my route. And the first time, I thought, well, I shouldn't pick one of those. That's not my tree. But look, those look so good. <laughs> and we didn't have pomegranate trees at home, and we never bought pomegranate, so I was really attracted. I wanted one of those pomegranates. Instead of taking one, I felt three or four and filled up my bag with them. And I, I felt guilty the first time. Next time, not so much. After about a week, I didn't feel a twinge of guilt. In fact, I went on to plums and to apricots and to grapes. <laughs> Wherever I found fruit on my paper route, I'd just pick it and put it in my bag. And that's the way sin works, doesn't it? It just takes away the feeling, the feeling of guilt, to where we become numb to it. So this leper was unclean. He was repulsive. He was unfeeling. He was also alienated. You see, a person with leprosy was contagious. And so the priests would actually separate all of the lepers outside of the camp of Israel. They couldn't be in the cities. They had to live away with lepers by themselves, all alone. And this is probably the most painful aspect of leprosy. Because if a man was married with children, he was separated from his family forever. Or until he was somehow healed, which almost never happened. So this man was like separated away to live with lepers, but he could never feel the embrace of his wife. He could never hold his children on his lap. He could never enjoy a good laugh with friends. He was an outcast. He was excluded. He was separated forever for the rest of his life. In fact, the Bible says that he had to wear torn clothes. He had to uncover his head cover his lips, and whenever anybody got close, he would yell out, unclean, unclean, so that they would know not to get too close to him. And that's what sin does to us as well, doesn't it? It separates us from God primarily. God says, behold, my hand isn't so short that I can't save, and my ear isn't so dull that I can't hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have separated you so that I do not hear any longer. It's like we're talking to God on a phone line and He clips the cord. Sin separates. It's not God that clips it. We do it with our sin. And we can't hear anymore. He can't hear us. We don't hear Him. There's, there's been this exclusion from the life of God. 
In Ephesians 2.12, Paul says, Remember that you were at that time, before your salvation, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Listen to those descriptions. Separate, excluded, strangers, no hope, without God. Leprosy. The condition of the leper. And then, finally, the leper was incurable. Humanly, he was incurable. There was no doctor that could fix him. There was no medicine that they had. Now, thankfully, today, we do have medicine that can cure leprosy. Back then, they didn't. There was nothing that could be done for him, humanly speaking. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 5, there was a captain of the Syrian army named Naaman who had leprosy. And there was a little Jewish maidservant that said, I wish you would just go over and speak to the prophet in Israel because he could heal you. And so he tells his commanding officer, the general, the Syrian general. And so the Syrian general writes a letter to the king of Israel. And he says, I'm sending my captain to you. I'm giving a gift of gold and silver and changes of clothes. And all I ask in exchange for that is that you heal him. And when the the king of Israel received that letter. It says that, he says, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? See, the king of Israel knew that for someone to cure leprosy was as easy as raising him from the dead. It just never happened. You couldn't do it. And that's exactly the condition of sin. There's nothing we can do to cure it. It's a humanly incurable disease. Remember the rich young ruler? This guy come, he comes to Jesus, and he thought he was really a good guy. He's kept all the commandments of God. And Jesus said, well, okay, there's one thing you lack. I want you to go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and come follow me. You're going to have treasure in heaven. In other words, you're not going to be the loser by this. You give it all away, you're going to have more. I'm going to give you more than you gave up. You're going to have treasure in heaven but it says the man went away sad. His face fell because he was rich and he wasn't willing to give up his wealth. And then the disciples said, well, well Lord, what's going on here? Jesus says, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he meant that literally. The biggest animal they knew, the littlest, littlest opening that they knew. <laughs> it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they said, well, Lord, then who can ever be saved? They thought if, if someone was rich, that meant that God's blessing was on them. Well, if they can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it is what? Impossible. impossible. Did you know that salvation is impossible with man? It's just not a little hard. It's absolutely impossible. There's only one being in all the universe who can take care of the sin problem, and it's not us. It's Him. It's incurable. But God is able to heal and cleanse leprosy, the leprosy of our souls. So that's the leper's plight. He's unclean. He's repulsive. He's unfeeling. He's alienated. And he's incurable. But notice his actions, the actions of this leper. Somewhere along the line, he became thoroughly convinced of his desperate condition. Because why else would he come to Jesus and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He knew that he was unclean. He said, well, that's a no-brainer. All he has to do is look at himself. Well, yeah, it's true. But how many sinners don't know that they're sinners? 
They don't know they've got leprosy of the soul. They're totally unaware of it. And you can't convince them otherwise. They think they're good people. Even though they love sin and they indulge it every day of their lives, they're addicted to sin. <laughs> you tell them, well, what's your hope of getting into heaven? Well, I've got an inn with a man upstairs. I think I'm a pretty good guy. He knows my heart. That's the problem. He knows our heart. We've already seen what God sees when he looks at humans' hearts. So this man became convinced of his lost condition. Over in John 16, 8, it says that, God, that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. That's how anybody becomes conscious and aware that they're a sinner and guilty in the sight of a holy God. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So we have to not only see our sin, but come clean before God with it and stop justifying our sin and excusing ourselves because of our sin and blaming other people for our sin. We've got to just come clean and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, Lord. That's the very first step. You have to see yourself as a leper before you'll ever be cleansed. Secondly, this guy came to Jesus. Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, it says, while Jesus is in one of those cities... Wait a minute. Lepers aren't supposed to be in cities because cities are where people are. Lepers are supposed to stay away from people. How'd this guy get into one of the cities? What's going on here? Notice the little word behold. Behold! There was a leper who came before Jesus. That's important because the word behold means what? Look! Check this out! There's a leper in the midst of a city. This ain't supposed to happen. What's he doing here? You see, this guy was so desperate and so determined that he was, he was going to break the law of Moses to get to Jesus. He says, I have no hope other than that man. I've heard that that man can do wonders. I've heard that he can do miracles. There's nowhere else in this world I can find any hope, but I know I've got hope in that guy. And so I'm breaking all the rules. I'm bound and determined. I'm getting to Jesus. And I'm going to see if he can do anything for me. So he came to Jesus. And folks, we have to be the same way. When we learn that we have leprosy of the soul, we've got to get to Jesus. There isn't hope anywhere else in this world. You can go to Buddha, you can go to Muhammad, you can go to Hare Krishna, I don't care who, who else it is, Joseph Smith, there is nobody else other than Jesus Christ that can heal you of leprosy of the soul. Don't make any mistake about that. All of these other religions of the world have no way to cleanse you. There's no atoning blood. There's no God-man who became flesh and then was delivered up on a cross atoning for the sin of people. There's nobody else that ever did that and then proved that what he did was successful by rising from the dead three days later. There's nobody else in this world. Don't ever fix your hope on anyone else other than Christ. So this man came to Jesus and he was willing to do anything he had to do. He was determined. Are you determined that you're getting to Jesus no matter what? You need to come to Jesus, you're going to have to leave your sin behind. But hey, if you see that you have leprosy of the soul, you don't care. 
I'm leaving my sin because that man can heal me. He can cleanse me. To come to Jesus, it means he's going to have to be number one for the rest of your life. There's no person that can ever take his place. There's no hobby, no recreation. There is nothing that can take his place. He is the supreme person of your life. That's okay by me. I'm a leper and I need to be cleansed. If you come to Jesus, it means you have to forsake all of your own possessions. Luke chapter 14. No one can be his disciple who does not forsake all of his possessions. It doesn't mean that you abandon your house and go live on the street. It means that you recognize this belongs to Jesus Christ and I'm his servant. And whenever he wants, he has the right to give anything that I am a steward of to anybody else. I can't hold on to it. When he says it goes, it goes. He's Lord. So to become a Christian means you've got to be bound and determined that you're getting to Jesus and you're not going to let sin stop you. You're not going to let other people stop you. You're not going to let anything stop you. Remember Jesus on one occasion said, the kingdom of heaven is being preached now that John the Baptist has come and everybody's forcing their way into it. You see, a lot of people talk about how salvation and being saved is such an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. It's a difficult thing to be saved. You're going to have to turn from the sin that you've loved your whole life. You're going to have to give up those sins. Is that easy? I don't think that's an easy thing. It's going to take the power of God for that to happen in someone's life. So this man comes to Jesus. He sees himself as a leper. He comes to Jesus Christ. And then he casts himself on the mercy of Jesus. Notice when he comes to Jesus, he doesn't say, Lord, I'm a pretty good guy, strutting my stuff. Look at all the good things I've done. Surely, I've done enough good deeds for you to heal me of leprosy. He comes and bows on his face before Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't come claiming any rights at all. He doesn't come making any demands on Jesus. He knows that Jesus is sovereign. He says, I know you can do it, Lord. I just don't know if you will. Will you? Will you do it for me, Lord? I've got no rights of my own. I'm not making any demands. I'm just coming humbly before you. So he cast himself on the mercy of Jesus. Do you remember that parable that Jesus told when he said two men went up into the temple to pray? One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. And he said the Pharisee was praying to whom? Himself. His prayers never got through the roof. He's praying to himself. Lord, I thank you. I'm not like these other guys around here. I'm not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice every week. I pay tithes of everything I get. Lord, I'm a pretty good guy. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? And then the tax collector's way over here. He, he didn't feel even worthy to get close to that Pharisee. He's way over here. And what's he doing with his fists? He's beating his breasts. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He didn't feel worthy to look to heaven. He's beating his breast because that's where all the sin came in his life, from this wicked heart. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And what does Jesus say? That man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The good man was lost. The bad man was saved. You know God saves bad people? People who know they're bad. 
If you think you're such a great guy, such a good, you'll never be saved. You'll never get into heaven. You've got to humble yourself and become like this leper. On your face, claiming no rights, just asking for God's mercy upon your soul. And then notice also, he humbled himself as a beggar. It says he got on his face and implored him. Do you know what the word implore means? It means to beg. He was begging. He's begging. Jesus, I beg of you. I know you can do it. Will you do it, Lord? He's imploring Jesus to cleanse him from this leprosy. The problem with people is that we're just too proud. We're too proud to beg. See, if you buy something, you go to the store and you've got money and you pay for it, you don't have to humble yourself to do that, do you? Because you're paying for it. And people want to buy salvation. They want to say, Lord, I've done this, 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 and this. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for heaven. But that doesn't come as a humble beggar. A humble beggar says, Lord, I don't have this, 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 and this. Lord, look at my life. It's filthy. I'm unclean. I'm separated. I don't even feel my sin, Lord. Lord, I, I don't have anything to give you. That's the way a sinner comes to salvation. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and we've talked about this. The word poor doesn't mean just he doesn't have very much. It's the word in Greek for having nothing. He's cowering in the shadows with a hand over his face because he's so shamed that he has to beg. And he's holding out his hand. To, someone would just put anything in his hand so he could buy a piece of bread to get through the day just to survive. That's the picture here. Blessed are people who see themselves as bankrupt and poor and destitute in spirit. For theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the kind of people that get into heaven. So this man was convinced of his desperate condition. He comes to Jesus. He casts himself on the mercy of Jesus. He humbles himself as a beggar. And then he exercises faith in the power of Christ. Lord, if you are willing, you can. Notice the faith of this man. There's no doubt. You can do it. And a sinner's got to believe in Christ if he's going to be saved. He's got to believe Jesus can take care of his sin problem. That he can overcome his wretchedness. That he can resurrect him from the dead spiritually and physically. That Jesus has the power to do that. Faith is absolutely essential or salvation never takes place. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works that any man should boast. So he exercises faith. Now, the third thing I want you to see about this leper is his cleansing. We've seen the plight, the actions. Here's the cleansing. There's two things that are beautiful here. Beautiful. These are actions of Jesus. We saw the actions of the leper. Now, let's see what Jesus does in response. Verse 13. And he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing be cleansed. Folks, that's shocking because nobody, nobody is going to reach out their hand and deliberately touch a leper. It's contagious. Jesus did it. I mean, this man must have been disgusting. 
He must have smelled bad. He, he must have looked repulsive. I, I love this about Jesus. He saw him through the eyes of love. And instead of turning up his nose and saying, get out of my presence, he deliberately reaches out his hand and touches this man. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I love it. Now, when somebody would reach out and touch a leper, they became unclean. They were defiled. Jesus is risking this man's defilement. He's willing to identify with him to become unclean in the sight of the law so that he can release his healing power into this man. And isn't that what happens at the cross? Jesus reaches out at the cross and he touches lepers. He's touching them. Their defilement is being transferred to him. And his healing virtue is going out of him and he's cleansing people through the blood of the cross. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21 all over again. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us. Our sin is transferred to him because there's a point of contact between sinners and Christ. Our defilement goes to him. His healing virtue, his life, his forgiveness flows out to us. And so Jesus touches him personally. But then secondly, Jesus cleansed him instantly. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him. It didn't take a few minutes, few days, few hours, few years, like that. The guy was like a, a baby just born from his mother's womb. He's, he's whole again. Pink flesh. The nodules are gone. The fingers are restored. The, the guy's eyes are back in his socket. He can talk again. He's like new. He's made new. He's, he's brand new all over again. Leprosy's gone. And folks, don't let anybody ever tell you that if you're ever going to be saved, it's going to take a long period of time. Gradually, you might, over the years, attain salvation if you do enough good deeds. It's just ridiculous. It's cruel because the person you tell that to may try and try and try and try. He's never going to know if he's done enough good deeds for, to be saved. That's why within certain religious groups there's no assurance of salvation because their assurance is only if you do enough and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, maybe then God will let you into heaven. And if you're not quite good enough, you go to purgatory and burn off those sins and then eventually you get to go to heaven. That's not true. It's evil because if your good deeds contribute to your salvation, who gets the glory? You do. You do. I'm a pretty good guy, Lord. Look at all those people I helped out, gave money to this one, helped that guy move into his new house. Lord, I'm a pretty good guy. See, you're taking glory to yourself. And what does the Bible say? That no man should boast. That God alone would receive the glory. He's specifically designed salvation to work this way, that we can never take any credit. That's why he reaches out when we're dead and can't make a move towards him and he breathes his life into us and he heals lepers and he draws them to himself, cleanses them. A miracle of miracle takes place. Salvation isn't just a little cover-up job. You know, like if, you, if I come home filthy, I put on some new clothes, oh, I look okay. It's not just putting a Band-Aid on a wound. It's, it's a brand new person. A brand new person comes alive. So... Let's bring this down to where we're at today. Have you ever come to Jesus for the cleansing of spiritual leprosy? Have you seen yourself like this man saw himself?
unclean, repulsive, unfeeling, defiled, alienated. You, you see yourself the way this guy did. And then have you done what he did? Are you convinced that you're guilty and wretched in yourself? I'm not talking about being in Christ, but in yourself, in Adam, you're wretched in the sight of God. And so you've come to Jesus. You've broken every boundary. You've, you've bound and determined you're going to do whatever is necessary. You're going to come to Jesus on Jesus' terms, not yours, on His, proclaiming Him Lord and Master of your life. You see, a lot of people have a, have a view of salvation that can be called easy believism. And what it means is all you do is ABC. Admit, believe, confess. Admit you're a sinner, believe on Jesus, confess that He's your Savior. That's it. Simple as one, two, three. Folks, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches, Jesus said, you've got to give up your life if you want His. It's not just adding a little bit of Jesus to your already crowded life. It's giving up your life and taking His. Jesus' life replaces your life. See, that, that's, that's not just, let's add Jesus, make my life a little bit better. Things go better with Christ. You know, it's not that. It's my old life dies, and there's a brand new one in its place. Jesus is the center from the rest of my life. That's when salvation happens. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to Jesus. You need to believe on Him with all your heart. You need to surrender like this man. Get on your face like this guy did. Get on your face before him and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the good news is, if you're willing to be saved on his terms, he is more than willing to have you. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Those are the words of Christ. Are you willing to come? On his terms, he is delighted to have you. He loves to save sinners, and the bigger the sinner, the more glory it brings to him, and the happier he is. So, the more guilty you feel, the better off you are. You're going to have more sins forgiven. Jesus is going to cleanse them all. He, so, folks, we are great sinners, but we've got an even greater Savior. That's the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. Now, for those of you who have already been cleansed, there's a lesson in here too for us. Jesus told this guy, don't tell anybody what I just did for you. What does he do? He goes and tells everybody. He disobeys. Jesus tells us, go and tell everybody. What do we do? We don't tell anybody. <laughs> I want to encourage you, if he's cleansed you of leprosy, tell everybody. Tell everybody. Ask God to give you opportunities to tell lots of people about what He's done for your soul. Don't disobey Him like this leper did. Be obedient. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you just seal the truths that we've seen in this text to each person's life. Wherever they're at, Lord, apply it because you know how to do that and I don't. Would you just do heart surgery and if there are people in here that are lost, Lord, bring them into life. Enable them to fall on their face before you, admitting they're a sinner, humbling themselves, and asking for you to save them. And Lord, those who are saved, give us the boldness and joy to just share that glorious news with everybody that we can. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.